If you're not mad about ads, and that's fair enough, choose the Dave McWilliams Plus option on Apple Podcasts, and you can hear this podcast in all its glory without the ads. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today, we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. This podcast is powered by Acast. How are you doing there? It is time for the podcast. This time we're going to talk about two not related, but interesting stories. The first one is Echoes of 2008. The U.S. banking system appears to be, as we were saying, John, a couple of weeks ago, going through what looks like a slow puncture. So there's two ways you can have a blowout, John, as you know. One is you can have a puncture that just blows out straight away, you have a crash. And the other one, you've got like a slow puncture. It just takes time and the air just kind of leaks out of the system. And over time, you lose altitude. And ultimately, you have the same puncture. You end up walking home. You end up walking home. Bike left on the side of the road, okay? (laughs) So I want to talk about one is that, and then I want to talk about something close to your heart, which is what explains the extraordinary reversal and fortunes of Irish rugby, where the national team is number one in the world, where the regional teams, the provincial teams, are in the final at home and are set to win the European final. And when the under-20s, have also, like the national team, won the Grand Slam. I want to talk to you all about that in a sec. Well, I tell you what, Mike, before we get into that, just to tell you, I woke up the other morning to an absolute WhatsApp meltdown. (laughs) All the lads who are all my mates who are big, big rugby heads, they have season tickets for Leinster and all the rest. They go there all the time, week in, week out. They are. You know the guys we take the piss out of the West Lower? I know they're not. I know they're not. Tarquin, Tarquin. (laughs) In fairness. But so Leinster, as you know, beat Toulouse and yeah. are now in the final coming up. So all the lads have been supporting them all the way, getting Leinster there to the final. And what happened? I don't know. Tickets are on a lottery basis. And none of them, not one of them got a ticket for the final, which I think is an absolute disgrace for season is, ticket holders. That is That is very strange. But you know, the same thing happens in football. If you're like a Liverpool FC fan, right? Or like even like Man City, because Liverpool aren't mm. winning that often. Right? Man City, right? 
And you have a season ticket to, I was going to say Main Road. That really dates me. That's the old Man City place. And it's, <laughs> I know it's called the Aer Lingus Lounge. There was the Etihad Lounge, right? If, if you get to the Champions League final, I think it's the same thing. I think the Champions League, like the Heineken Cup, it's kind of divorced from... Yeah, yeah. No, this this system. is nothing to do with Leinster. This is um, this is the European rugby... It's a money... Whatever. Well, you know, it's very funny. Yeah, it I've, is a money thing. It's absolutely I've a money thing. come over the same thing recently with the book festival in Dorky, right? Yeah. So say something like Tom Hanks, you know, mm. you've a massive, massive star, or Bono, you've a massive star in a tiny venue, which is the absolute charm of the festival. But what it does then, you've got to figure out, well, how do you allocate the tickets? And there's one way, which is you go for an auction. So whoever pays most, because the tickets are very expensive, yeah, gets the tickets. And that's how you actually allocate the tickets. So if you want to pay 500 quid, you could sit in the West Lower in Dublin and watch the game, irrespective of whether you're a fan or not. And the other way then is what we do at the festival. And this kind of goes to the, the nub of much of economics we say, look, look, every ticket's whatever it was, right? Same price. So in this case, you have to have a system where people could go online at the same time and queue up. And what actually happens is lots and lots of people don't get tickets and feel very, very upset about it because mm. they've bought tickets for other things. Yeah. But then you think, okay, well, would the better way be to have an auction? Because like you, someone like a, you take again, Tom Hanks or Bono, there's many people will pay many thousands to see them in a three or 400 seat yeah. venue, you know? Then it becomes they, very elitist then. And then it becomes very elitist. This yeah. is the thing. So it's very hard, I think, when you're on the other side from the event management side, let's say, mm. of the organizers, how do you allocate it? Because if you allocate it that everybody pays a fixed price, then it's going to be a queuing system and people at the back of the queue won't get tickets and they'll feel pissed off. But if you were to go down the other route and say it's going to be an auction, and as you said, some corporate guy could come in and say, I'd like to take 20 of my top corporate clients to see whatever yeah, yeah. the gig never is. Never been to a rugby game in their life or whatever. Yeah, or, yeah. or never, been to a, never been to a literary festival in their life. Yeah, yeah. But because Tom Hanks is, 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 a, is a Hollywood star. So it's a big dilemma. Uh, and it goes to the root of how do you allocate scarce... Economics, John, is the study of human <laughs> behavior in the context of scarcity. Yes. And this is, this is one example, but it is true. So, so the, basically the lads, are, the lads are fuming, are they? They're fuming, and, and rightly so, rightly so. Because, I mean, well, they, they uh, were there day in, day out. And- as he says off camera... This is the first time those Southside Dublin lads have ever been refused access to anything. I hear. <laughs> I like, hear now. And, and another thing. <laughs> anyway, you, anyway. You would be the same if it was uh, Shamrock Rovers not getting tickets well, for their... Well, the chances of Shamrock Rovers getting... <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. Now, that's another but, story. But actually, John, I was at the Aviva the other day. I went to the, the rugby match. It was amazing. Now, what binds your mates and rugby together is the banking system because most of them work in the banks. And let's talk about the banks. <laughs> they don't, okay? They don't. But anyway. <laughs> I'm only joking. I'm only joking. I want to talk because you were asking me off air, what's going on? Well, what, what you're, what you're, you're worried about what you're seeing in, in, the, in the US. Yeah, absolutely, Mac. I mean, the, the news there last week was, again, another bank failing. First Republic Bank is the third mid-sized bank to fail in less than a couple of months. And JP Morgan Chase... Or have snapped it up for 90-something billion or whatever. But here's the thing. I mean, you've often quoted Hemingway when he was asked, what was it, how did you go bankrupt? And he said, 
well, at first it was very slowly and then very quickly. But you were just saying the other week when we were talking about SVB and, and all those guys that this banking crisis seems to be the reverse where there was a lot of bankruptcy going on initially. And now with this banking crisis, it's going to be a very slow process, but it's very real and it's going on as we no, speak. No, no, it's very real. So I think the, the way to break it down is in three bits, John. The first bit is say, why is this happening now? Mm. Okay, what is happening deep within the balance sheets of the American banking system, which is causing them to have a crisis now and not, let's say, 12 months ago? That's yeah. the first thing. The second thing is, why are the authorities reacting in the way they are doing? And the third thing is then, how bad does it get, right? So the first thing is, why now? The why now is we have been in a low interest rate environment since 2009. So in March 2009, after having had the 2008 crash, in March 2009, the Federal Reserve under Ben Bernanke said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to print money. We're going to do what they call the ZIRP, the zero interest rate policy. We're going to drop interest rates to zero and even negative. This is going to allow the banks to build up their balance sheets again, to rebalance the ship. And ultimately, what we're going to try to do is we're going to try and over the course of a few years, write the economy. So what that prompted, John, was probably the biggest credit expansion the world has ever seen in the United mm. States and all over, all over the world, but mainly in the United States. Let's stick to the United States because despite its detractors, the dollar is still the key currency. And what happens in America is actually what really drives the global economy. So the first thing is you have over a decade of very low interest rates, 2008 to 2018, 19. 2020, you have a pandemic. Mm. So you have not only just low interest rates, but you have the government printing money because it has to. The government has said to people, guys, you've got to stay indoors. And people say, well, we've no income. The government says, look, we'll give you a check. So that's at, coming at the end of a massive credit expansion. So what happens is that banks tend to misdiagnose collateral at a time when other assets are rising in value. I'll explain what I mean, right? So at the end of a credit cycle, what you will find is that all banks have overextended themselves, no matter how well they are run. And the reason is the following. We've said it before, the easiest way to rob a bank is to run it. Yeah. So what basically happens is the management of the banks overextend the loans because their salaries are based largely on extending loans, more lending, that's how a bank makes money. So you'll find at the end of a credit cycle that banks will have a certain amount of bad loans on their books. That's the first thing. So that's where we were this time last year. Mm. Now the Fed has increased interest rates from almost zero to 5%. So this is a massive increase in the underlying cost of capital, right? Which means that all those assets that had to be refinanced. And re so, so basically what has happened in, in, a, in a credit expansionary economy is you get various different ways of getting credit. So most, let's say, for example, if you were a big company, how you'd expand is you would get what they call MES finance, which is mezzanine finance, right? And that's a sort of a central block of finance that's provided not by banks, but by other providers, right? 
and you refinance all the time. So let's say you have a 10-year project. You rarely borrow for the 10 years. You borrow for two years, you refinance, you borrow for another two years, you refinance, and you're always trying to play off your debt payments against your revenues all the time, which is what a treasury does in a large company. Now, what happens when interest rates go up is that model, which is we're going to refinance all the time, is broken and becomes broken. So they can't refinance. So therefore, you get much more cascading bad loans. Now, this is particularly the case in commercial property, right? So if you think the people who are buying big, big assets, right, you know, $100 million buildings, right, or projects, right, that loan that the $100 million is rarely going to be, John, you come in and you say, Macker, can I have $100 million? I say, yes. What happens is you will go to me for $20 million of that, to somebody else for $10 million of that, to somebody else for hundred, you know, for $15 million of that, and you put them all together, right? Okay, that's normally how you get your, your finance. And each one of those contracts is based on a refinancing schedule, right, where you actually have to roll over the loan. Now, if interest rates are zero or one or stable, all those sort of games can be played and it's fine. If interest rates jack up to 5%, all those loans go bad at the same time. So what happens is you don't find another lender to refinance. So what you've got to do then is you've got to sell a bit of equity to somebody else. You've got to do what they call a debt for equity swap, okay, in order to get financed. Now, the problem there is that in a world of 5% interest, there's not that much capital out there to do these debt for equity swaps. So what we're seeing is on the commercial side, we're seeing lots and lots of bad loans be getting more bad loans because they're all, what I just told you, they're cross-collateralized. So that's dependent on that, that's dependent on that, that's dependent on that. If one of these domino goes, the whole lot goes. So that's why it's happening now. The second thing that we have to get our heads around is why are the authorities reacting as they are? So what is happening in the United States, you might have noticed, is the Fed, you know, have you the image of a shotgun wedding in your head, John? Yes. <laughs> right? Okay. Now keep that image, right, of the old-fashioned image, I know it is. So the, the pregnant girl going up the aisle with the reluctant father yeah. and the father-in-law standing at the back of the church with a shotgun. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, That's yeah, the yeah. image, Okay. Imagine the father-in-law with a shotgun is the Fed. The pregnant girl, ridiculous as it seems now, but would have been regarded as, oh my God, that's a great travesty to have have befallen this girl, is the bank that's running out of money. The reluctant father is the bank that's about to buy it, right? Yeah. So in the last crisis, what the Fed did, all macho, was when Bear Stearns went bust, they said, oh, don't worry, the market will recalibrate. Yeah. And then Lehman goes bust. He said, oh, don't worry, the market recalibrate. And suddenly the market said, no, F off. We're not recalibrating at all. You're on your own. So suddenly you got this extraordinary situation where all the banks were going bust at the same time. And that process was given permission by the fact that one big bank went bust. And that's the reason is that people get scared. But, but wasn't it that the fact when the Lehman Brothers went, they were kind of considered too big to fail? Well, they were considered too big to fail, but it's more to the point that they did fail. Yes. Right? And once yeah. they do fail, that scares everybody. So yes. the Fed yeah, now, exactly. this is my point. So why is the Fed giving away these banks to JP Morgan Chase? Because yeah. it's trying to prevent the contagious event where everybody panics, right? So what it's doing is it feels it's better 
to put these other banks into the custodianship of JP Morgan than allowing these banks to go bust. Because the last time it allowed banks to go bust, it precipitated a full-on global financial crisis. But, but is so that not... That's, set- that's, that explains why the Fed is reacting as it is at right. the moment. But then the, the possible upshot of that is that, talking about too big to fail and all that, JP Morgan Chase become so massive that they are now the too big to fail. And that in itself is a major problem. You're absolutely right. This is, this is what you would call a contingent liability, John, right? So mm. the contingent liability in all this is that JP Morgan goes bust, right? Yeah. If JP Morgan goes bust, it's the entire system's over. So they have yeah. bet the house, not just in JP Morgan, a couple of the other big banks, right? So the choices, John, as I've always said, in a crisis, the choices is never between good and bad. It's always mm. between bad and worse, right? Yeah. So they've identified the worst thing we can do now is allow a bank go bust, imperil depositors, imperil the system. Because what happened in 2008 was not only that the banks started not trusting each other, yeah. but parts of the same bank started not trusting each other, which oh, is right. amazing. So the back office didn't trust the front office, everybody's lying, all that sort of stuff. Wow. First thing was have explained why it's happening now. Yeah. Second thing we've tried to explain is why is the Fed reacting as it is? Because it sees the 2008 playbook and it says, we don't want that again. Yeah. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to, in a way, privatize these losses. So we're not having public money involved, number one, or we're trying not to have public money Mm. involved, number one. And number two, we're trying to, in as much as possible, in as much as possible to protect the system by allowing the big banks to gobble up all the small banks. So what we're doing is we're saying, we would prefer a banking system that looks like what we call in economics an oligopoly, which is a few big players running the show, Mm. than a broken banking system that genuflects to fair competition, right? So it's a very, very pragmatic approach they're taking. And it's based on the last crisis. Can, Can I ask you then, then, is it a possibility that somebody like JP Morgan gobbles up all the smaller banks and they become massive and it gets everybody through the small crisis that's occurring at the moment. Well, once things settle down, is it a possibility and would it be wise then to break up banks like JP Morgan? So they're not such a a behemoth. Yeah. Okay. So here we have this distinction between what you've just outlined is what they call in economics moral hazard. Yeah. So moral hazard is that what you're doing is you're creating the circumstances and the environment in which JP Morgan behaves badly because it gets too big and it becomes too overbearing. And what that looks like, what that looks like for the average listener is you go in to get a mortgage from JP Morgan or a, one of its various different sub branches and your mortgage rate is 7% when base rates are 2%. That's what, yeah. that's what that looks like. Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. moral yeah. hazard position. However, you have to contrast the difference between moral hazard, the potential of bad behavior in the future, and real hazard, which is a fuck up now. Right? Yes. So that's what you're trading off all the time. And, and you're right. You know, The moral hazard is something of a kicking the can down the road dilemma. Mm. But maybe it's better to kick the can down the road than to face the crisis right now, because we faced the crisis right now in 2008, and the entire global financial system nearly fell asunder. 
Yeah. And then you have to think, okay, well, what's the long-term prognosis, which is back to your, your third part. It's like, the, it's like St. Patrick's, John. It's like the shamrock, right? <laughs> the holy trinity. The holy trinity, the three parts and the one God, right? <laughs> That's why St. Patrick was going back, you know, he was going back to very, very old Aristotelian sort of ways of arguing. Yeah. One, two, three. You know, it's it's the way humans process information in our yeah. heads. Yeah. So then the third thing is, okay, how bad could this get? So just to put these in context, these are not small banks. These are enormous banks. These are all way bigger than Anglo-Irish ever was. Way, way bigger, right? Yes. These are yeah, huge, yeah, yeah, these yeah. are these are big American banks. So they're not small. So then the third thing is, how does this end? What happens when you have real interest rates at three or four percent? in a heavily leveraged system where your banking system is fragile and a crucial part we haven't said yet, John, where depositors are taking their money out of the small banks because they're worried about the banks failing, Mm. right? So once you get deposit flight, which is what's happening in the United States, and again, what I say is this is happening slowly. This is not like a big event that's going to happen tomorrow morning. It's just gradually, you know, little by little, people are getting nervous about their, their savings. And little by little, they're moving their savings to the larger banks, which they know are going to be stable. And so little by little, people are accelerating the very process, which is allowing JP Morgan and those sort of big banks gobble up the whole system, right? Now, I think what happens in the end is what happened with Roosevelt. Oh. Not, not Franklin, Teddy, right. his uncle, Teddy Roosevelt, who broke up the large railways in the United States and the oil men, the oil companies, in the first part of the 20th century, where he just said, you've got too big for your boots, we're going to break you up. And I would suspect that that will happen at the same time, John, as new entrants like Apple come into the game. Yeah. So I yeah. think what we're looking at is the complete reorientation of the monetary economy in the United States, where... The big battle is going to be between JP Morgan, not in the Fed, but JP Morgan and Apple. And that's where, right. as the Yanks would say, the rubber hits the road. Because that's where a new system, it's always the same. If you look at economics, economics, I always say it's like biology. You know, things fall apart and a new system emerges and a new life form emerges. And I think what we're looking at is the end of one life form and the beginning of another. But what we know, as biologists always know, is we don't know what that new life form is actually going to look like. Mm. But we know what the process is, and that's the process we're seeing. Actually, let's just park the rugby for this week. We'll yes. come back to that. <laughs> oh, I was wanted to go <laughs> know, back to the I know, West. Lower. I know, I know. Well, uh, let's come back to this after a bit of this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard. But thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. 
Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Okay, Mac, explain this to me a little bit more, because I'm really curious as to what this new beast of banking is going to look like. I mean, is it like you're you're talking about, you know, like all that the small banks at the moment are losing their depositors? Yeah, many they're of all, them, not all. Many, yeah, many, yeah, yeah, many, yeah. Many. They're, they're, there's a big flight of capital, and people like J.P. Morgan and all those are just sucking them all up. And Apple, as as you just mentioned, they're just hoovering up their cheap assets. It's an easy yeah. win for them. So, is this a, a battle for depositors, or I, you know, I, where do we go from here? Yeah, no, it's a it's a really good observation, John. I just think, I think that. Most media will focus on the battle for deposits. And the mm. reason is most people have deposits. But I think that that is missing the big picture. That okay. What is actually happening here is a change in the way money is distributed within our economy and as a result of that within our society. Right. So if we go back to the idea that banks are simply, I use the word a lot, enable. But I think that they are enablers, right? So when the bank started many, many hundreds of years ago, it was basically a big guy went in, he'd a load of coins, he deposited in the bank. The bank was a guy with a big safe and a, and a couple of henchmen. And your man says, don't worry, we look after your cash for you. Yeah. And then the bankers realized that very few people came and looked for their cash in any one day. So the bank said, well, actually, why don't we just lend out some of this stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called fractional reserve banking. That's where the whole thing starts. And in a way, it's a magical idea because it means you can make money on money, which is something that St. Augustine would be very much again, John, right? And <laughs> yes. Thomas Aquinas would be very much again, right? The idea of usury. But if you accept the notion of making money on money, that's what banking's all about, right? Yeah. So that's fine. What happens if the way in which you distribute money around the society changes? So your essential banking model changes. So I bring you back to a thing called the wildcat banks, Joe, right? Uh Wildcat banking was what happened in the United States between 1800 and 1850. So as the United States moved out further to the West, you know, the pioneers and all that sort of stuff, they didn't have any banks. So they set up banks. So the John Davis Bank of Minnesota, Mm. right? And John Fine Davis establishment. Be, yeah, be, we're, the, we're actually the wrong ethnicity because the actual people who set up the banks were Swedes and Norwegians oh, right. and Germans. Paddy didn't set up banks, right? <laughs> so in general, if you imagine, do you remember the, the program Little House in the Prairie? I do. I right, do okay. very well. And the, the family Ingles. were called, were they Olsons or Ingalls? Ingalls. Ingalls, right. So Little House in the Prairie, right? Imagine Little House in the Prairie, except it's Little House in the Prairie with a safe and a big shotgun. Yeah. Right. That was what was happening. So Mr. Ingalls would say, I'll set up a bank and I'm a good guy and I'm respected. I'm a member. I'm a pastor in the local Baptist church. You know who I am. La, la, la. Right. That's how banking started in America. Yeah. That was just set them up. Right. And of course, they were called wildcats 
because what can't you do with a wild cat? You can't control it. Yes. So basically, yes. these banks expanded. And then, well, you had Miss, Mr. Ingalls employed a fellow called John Davis, who was Larry, and thought, hold on a second now. If I, and they used to issue their own. It's an opportunity. You know, they, it's an operative, great opportunity. You know, the Americans didn't print any dollars. Imagine this from 1792 to 1866. What did they Imagine do? Imagine that. What did they have? They had Spanish coins and they had the silver dollar. They had a silver dollar, but there was no paper dollar knocking around. Right, okay. Right? So what the banks did is they issued their own money, right? The Wildcats yeah. issued their own money and they circulated around little small settlements like, like IOUs. Yeah, but yeah. John was good for the IOUs. So that's how they actually worked, right? So, but imagine what happened. They were called Wildcats because eventually lots of them went bust. But amazingly, despite the fragile nature of the banking system, it sufficed to inject sufficient money into the American economy for the American economy to grow at three times the rate of the UK economy, which was then the premier economy in the world, all through the 19th century. Isn't that amazing? Right. Yeah. So wow, wow. This is a an homage to the improviser. Mm. So that happened. So people don't see that banks can actually just be invented concepts, right? If you actually think about it. Yeah. So what I think is going to happen is the following. We are going to have a massive credit crunch in the next couple of years. There's going to be a massive shakeout in the banking system. There is going to be a huge amount of American commercial assets being sold at cents in the dollar. So not at par, at like 10 cents in the dollar, 20 cents in the dollar, okay? Because American commercial property is overvalued. Why? Because the banks lent to commercial property thinking it was safe during the period of low interest rates. And lo and behold, after the pandemic, nobody wants to work in an office. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So Zoom has destroyed the American banking system, not the bankers. Okay? <laughs> this is the destruction. Zoom, blame Zoom for the whole thing. <laughs> so what you have is this massive overhang of commercial property. I really noticed it when I was in Vancouver a couple of weeks oh, ago. Here we go. It's the Tedster. I wouldn't go back there again. I was a Teddy boy. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't go back there in a hurry, though. I wouldn't really. No, it's, it's no, be, be better to Far prefer to go to Clifton in the winter. But what I noticed is a huge amount of commercial retail real estate vacant. You know, right? Yeah. Shop floors, etc. Right. And that's in a premier city. Mm. So you can imagine what it's like outside the cities. So you get this change in behaviour as in people not wanting to go to work in huge numbers anymore, number one. Yeah. Number two, sorry, you have a very tight labor market. So a lot of people can actually say to their boss now, well, I just don't want to go. Yeah. yeah what are you yeah. going to do about it, right? And at the same time, the banks have overlent and interest rates have gone from zero to five. So it's a perfect storm for the destruction of the balance sheet of a small bank. And you have the depositors getting wind of all this thing and taking their money out. So the yeah. Fed is actually trying to operate a holding position to keep the whole thing. I mean, it's a, it's a very difficult balancing act. But the long-term prognosis, I think, is your banks go bust. They get hoovered up by other banks, so they don't go bust in effect. They, the shareholders lose all their yeah. cash. They get, as you said, shotgun marriage into bigger banks. Those banks survive. But over the horizon is coming a little thing called Mr. Technology. And Mr. Technology always changes everything. Yeah. So every Our friend single, Schumpeter. Exactly. We're back to Schumpeter. So our friend Schumpeter says, nothing is stable. Everything is fragile. Everything is disrupted. What is it disrupted by? It's disrupted by technology. What is the technology that's going to destroy the banks? 
Zoom is going to undermine their balance sheet. But this yoke here, the smartphone, John, is what is actually going to change the game. Because as, once this thing turns into a bank, which it will, amazingly, then it's over for banks. And then we're in a totally new world and we start again. Yeah, well, transitions can be painful, though. That's the way the world revolves. And I think that the problem is that always the narrative is written by the person who has got something to lose. So in the same way as if you asked a blacksmith in 1902 what he thought of the motor car, he'd say it's a threat. Mm, yeah. But of course, the motor car liberated a huge amount of people. Yeah. Likewise, if you ask a banker what he thinks of the prospect of technology fusing with consumer choice to create a new financial infrastructure, he'll say, oh my God, that's a threat. But he would say that, wouldn't he? And I think we'll end this podcast with a quote from Mandy Rice Davis. Do you know who she is, John? I do, yes. Now, she was from see, the Profumo Affair. You're absolutely right. Yeah, the, the British spy in the 60s. So John Profumo has an affair with a young girl called Mandy Rice Davis. Yes. And the judge sits there, and she's sitting there, this young working-class girl, and all Melod and the barristers, and they all went to Eton together, and they all went to Oxford together, and the judge and Profumo, and they're all in the, in the high court, and Profumo says something like, I did not have sexual relations with that yes. woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are, are they, are they, the, the, the equivalent. The, the equivalent. And she just says, he would say that, wouldn't he? And at stroke destroyed his case. Yeah. Right? And again, if you ask the banking community what's going on with the future of banking, they'll say, oh my God, terrible. We need to change. We need to stop. But they would say that, wouldn't they? Because that's their crust. So it's all change, Johnny boy. All change. Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.